security implications of the work-from-home digital transformation, what should be in remote workplace security policies, and the nascent threat of AI meeting assistance. These stories and more in this week's ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Nick Holland. It's week four, or five perhaps, I'm not entirely sure, of working remotely for a great many of us. And clearly the adjustment to this new normal of social distancing is far from over. It's not to say we're being any less social, though. The rapid adoption of messaging apps, notably Zoom, has been for many of us a lifeline to both the workplace and our family and friends. However, this rapid transition to WFH, as it's known, and the new digital tools has come with a number of notable security problems. In this week's podcast, we'll hear Jeff Green of NIST discuss implementing security policy for the remote worker, and Steve Marshall of Bytes Technology in the UK talk about a new threat from AI meeting assistants. But first, here's an excerpt of an interview that ISMG's SVP of Editorial, Tom Field, conducted this week with an illustrious panel of experts, Edna Conway of Microsoft, Michelle Dennedy of Drumwave, and Wendy Nather of Cisco. I'd urge you to view the complete interview, which is available on ISMG websites. It's really fantastic. But I particularly liked this excerpt where Edna Conway discusses how home and work are fusing, as are information security and physical security, with a final comment from Wendy Nather. Enjoy. So, you know, we were, we were talking earlier, and uh, Michelle, you said we all get to bring our whole selves now. I think there's something else interesting, which is, you know, for years I've been talking about thinking about this in a holistic way. You can't segregate information security from physical security. And we live right to now in a world where, you know, home is now your office, your partner's office, your elementary school child's classroom, your teenager's dating application. Um, and grandpa, you know, he's taken up a new hobby in the back room, it's day trading. And we're all working on the same platform at the same time. So starting to think about what do you need to do to lock things down? How often should you change that password? In, and for, as an enterprise, how robust is the VPN? Um, should all of us, quite frankly, be using different kinds of things like how about a USB data blocker? Um, we all take them with us in our travel bag. Should we be using them regularly? And more importantly, you know, I had a, New Hampshire is an interesting small rural community. I had the neighbor who called me uh, the, uh, the other day and she said, I'd like to tell you that I think you're making a terrible mistake. I said, what is that? She said, I saw the cleaning person come to the house you should not be allowing him to come into the house. And I said, well, I did a database risk analysis. I know him. I know his children. I know his family. I know the kind of products that he used. I also understand how important it is to clean the house. And I made a risk-based choice that he should come in, but thank you for your concern. That kind of a thing is something that we bring to the table every day in work but we're now bringing our algorithmic thinking, our security practices, our, are you watching your neighbor? Are you paying attention to whether there isn't a child I know who at some point hasn't tried to get into their parents' computer, right? I mean, my son, I'm an IP lawyer. My son used to put copyright notices on his paper starting in fifth grade. And he was at a public school for a while, but then he was in a Catholic school. And the nuns had to have a few words with me. And I said, no, no, copyright law is alive and well in the U.S. Bring that to the table 
today and every day. Use this as an opportunity to change the way we operate. Think holistically. Bring your whole self. Yeah, and the other side to that uh, that that I was talking about in uh, actually in my my keynote at RSA is that now that tech has become democratized and work and life are all mashed up, that people are starting to worry about whether their employers are going to try to exert control over their private lives because you can't really separate them anymore. And of course, that's gotten even worse now that we're working from home. Um, we've read a lot about employers worrying about whether their people are actually working and how they want to control that. So again, I think our, our feet are being held to the fire over that controversy of, yes, as an employer, you have the right to, cert- to ask certain things of me, but you don't get to infringe on my personal life just because I'm at home right now. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. With the COVID-19 pandemic obviously forcing large portions of the workforce to shift to telework, CISOs need to rethink corporate policies on the use of video conferencing platforms and other communication tools. Jeff Green of NIST recently wrote a blog post about the challenges of securing a newly mobile and remote workforce and how the cybersecurity policies that worked for CISOs within the confines of an organization's physical walls just no longer apply. ISMG's managing editor of Newsdesk, Scott Ferguson, conducted an interview with Jeff on this very subject. Here's Jeff. The goal of any security policy that's going to be a security tool that's going to be really effective is got to be ease of use because once you start making start making security too much of a burden, people just won't follow it. So it is it's really important to be thinking about the policy as you're creating one from the perspective of the end user, keeping it relatively simple to read. You don't want 10 pages on virtual meeting security and think about how people use the tools. My mother was an English teacher and she always told me to write to the lowest common denominator as long as I was keeping my, continuing to make my, my key point. And I think that should be true here. In terms of the pieces that you should have in it, um, first is, is trust in people, um, but really making sure people are aware of the risk. And think about your virtual meetings, your con calls, uh, the way you do any data. A tiered approach is what we would suggest, um, low, medium, high. Then you apply the different security uh, uh, layers depending upon the sensitivity of the meeting you're going to be discussing. And it's also going to depend upon what tools your organization has in place to have these virtual virtual meetings. Um, so you're going to have to tailor it to that and make sure that, that in fact, what you want to do is available and that people have the, the opportunity. Biggest thing from my perspective is know the risks you're taking. And by that, I mean, if you're going to reuse a conference call number, if you're going to record a meeting, if you're going to share a screen, make sure that's all a conscious choice. It's not things that we're doing uh, by default. You, know, you want to knowingly assume whatever risk you take on. If you have limited time or resources, I would suggest focusing initially on the most sensitive of the calls. Some suggestions there are the most obvious is don't reuse a conference call number. If you think about how many times you've sent an invite out uh, to meetings uh, for people both inside and outside of your organization, you don't want to be using that one on a very sensitive uh, business or company call. Use a dashboard to see who's on. A lot of services will have a green room or a waiting room, so you can actually admit people individually to control who's in there. You can lock the call on a lot of them once you have everyone you want. I mentioned recording a moment ago, if you're going to record it, make sure that recording is encrypted. 
know if it's stored locally or in the cloud. And if it's going to be in the cloud, it might not be held or by your provider. Know how long they're going to hold it. For the really most sensitive meetings, you can look into multi-factor authentication. Again, uh, sticking with the sensitive side, one-time pins, uh, identifiers, or codes, I think, are essential. And you can also, through some services, distribute a personalized link that only that one person uh, can join from. At the other end of the spectrum, if it's truly a routine or, or not a sensitive call, probably okay if you're reusing a number. But again, be aware of what you're doing. Last thing I'd say on that is, is we put out a blog. If people look up NIST Cyber Insight, you can find a blog we did on remote virtual meeting security. And there is a graphic in there that has 12 or 15 different security options that'll walk you through from our suggested steps from low to medium to high. You can pick and choose. You don't have to follow our order, but it gives you a sense of what the options are potentially and how you might want to apply them. Finally, a new threat to surface and exploit the ever-present and pervasive use of messaging apps, social media, and even common or garden phone calls are rogue AI meeting assistants. UK-based Steve Marshall, CISO at Bice Technology, came across this new threat in a recent company meeting. Here he describes what happened. It was a it was a really interesting case because it was one that we hadn't come across before. If you don't know what an AI meeting assistant is, it's a clever piece of technology that you can invite to a meeting. It will record the call, the chat, and the video. It will then transcribe what's said during that meeting and provide outputs in a format that you can search and mine for information. Now, these are, are very useful tools and lots of companies use them now in order to be able to add them to a meeting, take the information from the meeting in a digital readable format that they can then push into their CRM system, mine the format and the data that comes back and add that as case notes and these types of things in into their customer relationship management system. So they get a much richer set of information for on customers, what they're looking for, technical aspects, what's been discussed and those types of things so that they can use it to service customers more appropriately. So it's a great piece of technology and it can join both video conferences, chat conferences or, or chat meetings, but it can also join telephone meetings as well. So it's not just limited to you know digital formats. It can use analog voice format as well as digital voice formats as well. The interesting thing that seems to have happened is that these seem to have been you know weaponized by external participants in order to to actually use this technology for for nefarious purposes. Um, it's very very easy. You can go and do a search online for an AI meeting bot, you can largely sign up for them free in, in a number of cases, set yourself an account up, and then the only things that you need to do is provide the specifics of the meeting, so the meeting URL and the meeting details into that AI chatbot or translate bot, and then it will invite, it will join the meeting when the meeting occurs. So in our case, you know, we'd set up a Zoom meeting, we published the URL on the on the internet so that people could drop in. We decided to do a drop-in clinic for anybody that wanted to come and chat to us two hours. So we were all in the meeting chatting along nicely and we noticed a strange participant. It had come up with a name at company that we didn't recognize. So we did a bit of Google searching while we were on the call and we found out that it was one of these AI meeting assistants. And we looked a bit further into it and then realized that actually it was recording the call and transcribing exactly what was being said on the call. So we kicked it out of the call immediately. 
that's it for this week's ISMG security report. Theme music is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Nick Holland. Catch you next time.